This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Jane Bond. She's a serial entrepreneur and successful real estate agent. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you for asking me, Roman. I'm happy to be here with you guys. So tell me a little bit about your story. Where did you get started and how did you get to the 2019 you? The 2019 me is, I guess, a good me, to be honest with you. I would say the 1987 me was pretty good, too. Um, I started my journey as a flight attendant. Um, I worked for a major airline, which was amazing at the time. I just um, finished school, um, studied finance, and um, went into being a flight attendant. Of course, my parents, my mom hated it, but my dad was like, well, she did everything we wanted her to do, so let her go and fly. And that's what I did. So I loved it because that was my first job outside of school and I didn't have a boss. I mean, I did, but they weren't up in the air with me. And um, not only did I become a flight attendant, I became what they call the ISM, which was an international flight service manager. And I noticed that a lot of the black girls or you know, African-American girls weren't traveling international. And I thought, well, if anything ever happens, I need to be able to fly international now because who knows if I'm going to be able to afford it if I don't stay here because you know when you're early 20s you're thinking about doing everything in the world so you know and was that my dream job no it was a fluke I went with a girlfriend of mine who said you know go with her to an interview and actually I got chosen and she did so I put it off for five months and I was surprised that they allowed me to because I was scared to death to tell my parents but I wanted to go and do it because I was adventurous. And um, two years into the job, I realized, oh my God, this is not going to be my career, but how can I pivot into something else and still be able to travel the way I'm traveling? So I took the first two years and enjoyed the job. In the last two years I was there, I went everywhere my heart desired. And I realized early on that it was also a part-time job with full-time benefits. And I had to figure out how to turn that into being advantageous to me if I ever walked away, which I did. Um, From there, I decided I wanted to quit. I wanted to become a interior designer and I knew nothing about interior design, but I knew about quality because I had traveled all over the world. Like I said, I went international really quickly because I became what they call the international flight service manager. And um, that was the person that did most of the announcements. I was the first flight attendant, so to speak and you know, counted the liquor internationally. You saw me when you came on, you saw me when you left. I corresponded with the pilots most of the time if we had any hiccups in the air. So I decided I wanted to do something else with my life and I thought, okay, well, I'm you know, we'll do interior design. And um, I walked in, I quit. I decided to go into interior design and um, actually I think it was Meldrick Taylor, the boxer was one of my first clients. And then it pivoted off to, a football player and I had to figure out how was I going to get clients that had disposable income so instead of flying around having a good time and just enjoying destinations and my you know colleagues 
I decided to start asking and requesting to be a flight attendant on the charter flights, which had football players. And I remember chartering a flight with, um, I believe it was the Cleveland Browns at the time. Hope I'm not dating myself too much. <laughs> I don't think they're called the Cleveland Browns anymore. And um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was very sick on that flight, so I was not a nice flight attendant, I think, at that time. And on the way back, I sat and spoke to this um, one football player and told him that I wanted to leave. This was not the job for me anymore. I didn't want to, you know, stay up in the air anymore. I wanted to be on the ground. And I said, he says, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to become an interior designer. And he says, well, you know what? I just bought a house. And whether it was to strike up a conversation or a relationship with me at the time, whatever, it worked. And he said, um, why don't you come down and look at the house and tell me what you think? And I did. And he gave me the job. And I went from there and I never advertised. It was all word of mouth. And I worked for quite a few football players, you know, Keith Byers from the Eagles, uh, Jackie Walker from Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, uh, Harry Swain, uh, from the San Diego Chargers, from the Eagles, won the Super Bowl three times, two with the Broncos, one with the Ravens. I did five homes for him. And um, the late Broderick Thompson, and I worked for him, and Von Hepron. So I never advertised. And when I went to do the last house for Harry Swain in Great Falls, Virginia, he was with the Ravens, and I knew they were going to win the Super Bowl. They were playing against the Jets, but I just knew they were going to win the Super Bowl. And I think Jason Seahorn was with them at the time. And Jason Seahorn, he was like a media whore. And he would not let anybody advertise anything. So I went to my client, who was Harry Swain, and I said, um, if I do this home, which is one of the biggest homes I've ever done, will you let me advertise? And he said, why not? It's your work. So I was very blessed to have him say yes. And I had designed, a, I, I would say, four homes up until that point for him. So that was the fifth home. I was designing out, which was his second dream home, he told me. And I've known him ever since, him, his wife, and the five kids. And since then, he's become the chaplain for the Chicago Bears, the chaplain for the Baltimore Ravens. And um, I believe he still is the chaplain at this time. So, so he switched gears also. So from there, when I went to do the last home for him in uh, uh, Great Falls, Virginia, he, I had, I was living in New York at the time and I took, taken the train down to stay at the home because at that time when you're doing interior design, you're designing for almost, you know, a year at a time, especially if you're there from inception with the project itself. So I learned a lot and I had never gone to school for interior design. I didn't know anything about it, but I kept my mouth shut and I listened to all the contractors that came in there, but I did understand design and I understood quality versus quantity. So with that being said, once I arrived, I remember being in the train station in uh, Washington and looking at magazines and I saw the Washington Redskins owner's home on the cover of the magazine. And I thought, well, my God, if, if I can get this house that I'm doing on the magazine cover, that will just take my career to a whole nother level. And I said, my guy has won the Super Bowl twice with the Broncos and now they're up for the Super Bowl again. So he would be a three-time Super Bowl winner. And if I could get this article out, what would you call it, Jamie? Three-time Super Bowl winner sanctuary. And I thought, wow, I'm gonna call the magazine and see if I can get them out here because he's a big deal. So I called them, they hung up on me a few times and finally someone answered and talked to me. And I told them, I said, listen, I have a two-time Super Bowl winner that's just moved with the Ravens, transferred over to the Ravens, and I have a feeling that they're gonna win the Super Bowl again. So that's a triple Super Bowl winner.
and I said, I think you should come and look at this home. It's going to be magnificent. And they did. The editor called me back. I sent her a picture over and she came over herself. And I was just blown away. And not only did I get a two-page spread, I got a 10-page spread. And actually, pretty much the cover. So I was really excited when I walked into Barnes & Noble and saw my work, which I had really no credentials, to be honest with you. It was just a dream. And, and I just made it come to fruition by taking action and executing what I had in my head. And um, it just grew legs and started walking around. So at that time, I thought, oh my God, who's going to really, I mean, of course I have a body of work, but I didn't feel like I had arrived in my industry, which was interior design. And I, even though I spoke at FIT, I, I just thought I need something more. And I decided to go to school and I went to Parsons and got my degree in interior design. And I joined ASID, which is, you know, the Association of Interior Designers. And I felt like then I had done it. And then I stopped. I felt like I conquered the mountain, climbed the hill, got to Everest and said, you know what, what am I going to do now? And I had so much work behind me and a full, you know, portfolio and I felt good about it. And I moved to New York because I was back and forth in Philadelphia. I had been living in Paris and I lived in Venice for a while. And then I finally came back home and lived in Philadelphia. And that's when I started the interior design because I had to build and I knew I had to be consistent and have a, you know, a stable place. And um, then I went up to New York. And when I got to New York, I decided to go into real estate because I thought real estate coupled up with my business and in interior design would take me to another level. Even th And then I had my degree, so I was set. But then the real estate market, I got there and I liked it, but it was like, they were like wolves. It's really kind of made me nervous. I went with a company called Bellmark at the time. And I remember, getting my license and choosing which company I wanted. And I remember a friend of mine going to companies and being turned down. And I said, well, I don't understand. I'm going out to the same companies and they're all asking me to join their firm, but why not you? What's going on? And I said, are you understanding the process when you go in there? You know, not only are you interviewing, not only are they interviewing you, you're interviewing them because they're going to be your partner. So I realized my business acumen was had also grown you know, with everything that was going on in my life. And sometimes it takes time for those light bulbs to go off in your head to know your value. So I chose this company to go with and I was with them and then unfortunately I had a friend that passed away and that just kind of broke me a little. So I stepped back from everything. And then I got a phone call from one of my clients, which was Keith Byers. His wife was a backing vocalist for uh, the gospel group, the Winans, CC and BC, BB Winans. And she asked me, did I know um, anything about management? And I thought, well, no, not really. And um, she says, well, I have a friend that's interested in having you do some work for them because they like the way you work. And I was like, well, I know nothing about entertainment. She was like, Jane, it's all the same shit. Excuse my French. She said, it's all business, baby. Just think about it. And you have to understand, I'm still a young woman. I'm still finding my way, and, but I'm having success and I'm excited. But I'm trying to be very cautious too because you can't jump from things, you know, from one career to the next, which I did. And every time I did jump, it, you know, I landed well. So I took her on, I met her friend and her friend happened to be, you know, one of the girls uh, in Dia Davenport from the Brand New Heavies. 
And I had not known who they were, even though they were around in the 90s. And um, she and I got along like a house on fire. And um, I started managing her. And I was the, you know, the person that brought the band back together from England because the back, the, the band was English and she was the front woman. She was uh, the singer. And um, I put them back together. I was very instrumental in bringing them back together. And then I started my business with entertainment management. So that's where the serial entrepreneur came into place because before I knew it, I had three, four careers under my belt and I was just steamrolling. Next thing I know, I was at the Grammys, I was at the Golden Globes, I was living in, I was traveling back and forth to Paris doing things with Anne Hathaway and the brand of Heavies and, you know, Lancome bringing out, introducing their new perfume. And I was like, this is some glamorous stuff. My God, I can't believe I'm, you know, involved in all of this. And that's how my entertainment business came into play just by having that conversation and I just kept steamrolling with it and picking up new clients to manage like Nigel Barker from the American America's Next Top Model, um, you know, Franklin Smith from Blindspot and it just kept steamrolling. And then I got married <laughs> and I was brought to Naples, Florida and I was traveling seven months out of the year and um, of course that's not going to work when, you know, you're in a relationship and I came to Naples and I really didn't know what to do here and um, decided to go into real estate because that's what I knew from New York and I thought let's give it a try and here it is my 2019 Jane Bond I'm in real estate and um, same thing I mean of course I've had challenges and you know, breakdowns before breakthroughs and, and some of the challenges were, were hard of course um, but I was able to get through them, you know, with prayer and, and, and support from friends and family and just keep, I just kept moving. You know, I kept putting one foot in front of the other Roman and that's what was important to me. If I could just get to this next level, this next step, I'm going to make this happen with everything I have inside of me. And that was what was important because I wanted to know, I wanted to do, I wanted to fly. And um, that's, that's my MO. I just, if I want to do it, I'm going to do it. Nothing can stop me. And if you try, I'm going to ask you to watch me work because I'm going to keep moving. So fast forward in Naples, doing my work, um, worked for Sotheby's for about six years, started out with Keller Williams, um, realized that the market was changing and not only the market, and I came into real estate during the, you know, the crash um, in 2010. Um, I got my license in 2010. Of course, the crash was a couple of years before, but I saw it coming, but at that point, it had, I was doing other things in my life. I was getting married and so forth. Um, and I, I'm, I was getting married over in England. I, wasn't, I didn't even get married in America. So I was over there when things were happening here. But when I came over to, back over to America, you know, the crash was in full force. And um, I realized, well, if I get in the market now, what went down must go back up. So that's what I did. And I started out with Keller Williams, which I thought was a great company at the time with their systems, and left Keller Williams 18 months in, won Rookie of the Year, went to Sotheby's from there. Uh, I don't even remember Sotheby's telling me they wanted me. I told them I was just coming. Because <laughs> I told my husband, I said, if, if Sotheby's opened up in Naples, I'm going to work for them. Because while when I lived in New York, that's all I knew was Sotheby's, Sotheby's, Sotheby's. It's the best company, you know, and when you travel around the world, you see Sotheby's everywhere. So um, 
I went with that company. And then in 2015, I started seeing a shift um, in the market, a shift in uh, trends, um, a shift in the digital world, what was happening with marketing. And I thought, wow, this, what I'm doing is good, but I think I need to, you know, move with the trend, see what's going on. I'm not, I'm not moving forward. And at that time in my career, I had just landed my biggest listing of all, which was $18 million penthouse. Um, and I walked into that penthouse and knew it had to be mine because everything I had seen was traditional. It was Mediterranean, it was Tuscan, it was uh, transitional, but it wasn't modern with very clean lines and sleek like what I had seen in New York or what I had seen in Barcelona and Spain or, you know, or uh, Paris, which everything was um, clean lines and to scale. And what I had seen here, even though I was selling it and it was two million, three million, four million, whatever, um, it seemed like everything was always off scale. The furniture was huge and it was, it wasn't what it was supposed to be. But when I walked into this penthouse, I felt like I had arrived at the right place and the right time and I was gonna do anything I had to do to get that listing. And I remember the, I didn't even speak to the seller, I spoke to the liaison. So that was another layer of moving into the luxury market because even though I was in the luxury market already, this was the multi-million dollar luxury market. You know, I had sold three million, four million, seven million dollar properties, which my career was growing faster than I, I thought it would, you know, in this industry, especially being in Naples and being pretty much one of the only African-Americans here. You know, I was the only blackface on the scene. I didn't see anybody and pretty much I still don't see anybody. But um, at that level, and um, the next thing I know, I had this listing. And it's one thing to get the listing, Roman. It's another thing to sell that listing. You know, you can get it and it takes your career to another level and you can market it and yes, you have it. But if you don't sell it, you know, it, it, to me, okay, she had the listing, but did she sell it? You know, that's where the, the crown comes, <laughs> so to speak. And it did come. It took me almost a year to date of getting that listing, but who's walking around with $18 million in their pocket? So when I got that listing and I actually sold that listing, you know, 22, on, I mean, on a 22nd floor in this absolutely beautiful building and nothing had sold in the building for over 5 million because of the crash. And you know, that span of time, that five year span I upped the value of everything that was in the building and in the community of the other five uh, condominium buildings there. So I kind of, you know, won the crown for them and, and took it home, you know, ran, took that torch all the way to the finish line for them. And um, it was an absolutely stunning property, you know, $18 million. Not everybody's walking around with $18 million in their pocket every day. So it does take time to sell something like that and market it properly. So like I said, when I saw the marketing changing, the, digi you know, the digi digital world coming into play, I ran with that. I videotaped it. I droned it. I walked through it. I spoke about it. I you know, corresponded with the interior designer, often talking about what he did, how he did it, and um, sold it. 
And I remember the people that bought it said to me when they first met me, they said, we feel like we know you. We've watched that video over a hundred times. So I said, I did my job. And um, yeah, that's what took my career to another level. And the press that came behind that, it was a whirlwind. I had no idea. And I'll be honest, once I closed the deal, I went home and had a, you know, a bowl of soup and went to bed because it was exhausting. And then the whirlwind that came behind that was um, really impressive. I had no idea what was going to happen because I didn't know it was, I knew it was the largest, but I didn't know it was um, historically the biggest in Naples and the most expensive that had ever sold on the sand, on the beach in Naples. 11,698 square feet under air and 13 some odd square feet in total. So it took me a while to really grasp what had happened and then go out there and say, you know what, I got to do this all over again because in my business, you're only good as your last sale. So this is the 2019 Jane Bond that you're getting. So I hope I summed it up for you. <laughs> No, that's that's awesome. And I think kind of the commonality in all those, there's the building blocks from career to career. And I think all of those were also uh, people facing. So capitalizing and building on those skills over the years and then being ready to get back into real estate with additional skills. I think that's uh, really important. And then adapting, like you said, uh, in terms of the digital landscape and promotion and I think brand building and not only the company you work for, but you as an individual are, are a direct representation of the brand. And in terms of being people focused and selling, that's really important in terms of the selling process. Yeah, that you're, you're, you hit it right on the head too, because um, someone did ask me, how did all this come to fruition for you? You know, where did you, you know, going to school, you know, meeting people from all walks of life, going to school. I went to all girls school. Then I went to a school in New York, which was international also. And then traveling, meeting people and understanding, you know, really listening to people because people were on the plane from all over the world and they had heavy accents. And not only did they have accents, they had dialects from other places. So I had to really listen. And I think that was really, a, that was the most important skill that I learned while I was out there in the workforce at that time. And then understanding the customer. And a lot of agents always ask me, Jane, how do I break into the high-end business or you know, the luxury market? And I share with them, you don't break into any of this. You grow into this. This is something that is ongoing. And even as an agent at my level, I, I'm still learning. And it's all about customer service, being there for that customer and understanding who they are and what they want. And, you know, we have a lot of realtors, young ones that want to just immerse themselves in this business and be at the ultimate level quickly because, you know, the million dollar listing here and, you know, you know, listing there. And a lot of that you see on television is true and it does happen, but some of it's scripted, of course. Um, however, you have to learn who these customers are um, if you want to play in their sandbox. You have to know that these customers are usually titans that have, in my market, because I live in Naples, and Naples is one of the um, wealthiest cities in the country per capita, and a lot of the captains of industries have come here to lay their hats down. So these titans, they're used to dealing with people, and they want what they want in the drop of a hat. So you have to know how to navigate through that level of you know, people and work with them because, you know, they want answers. 
So if you don't have answers when, you know, push come to shove, you could you will blow your whole deal, everything. And you have to know how to take care of their business. You know, you can't be 22 trying to take care of somebody's 15, $30 million property. What have you done? Where have you been? Who are you? You know, these are the questions, but you're in your mind, you want to break into this industry um, without any, any background. <laughs> so, you know, being around people and understanding people and being able to be a chameleon in certain areas of my life and in certain, you know, uh, situations and being able to step up to the plate has helped me out a lot. Yeah, and I think it's connecting as fast as possible also because I've had several interviews where um, me and myself have traveled a lot. I was born in Ukraine and came here when I was five and in Europe and other places. But I think that element like you had in terms of a flight attendant and then getting to travel and getting to go to places and people from different cultures and understanding different mindsets and cultures and stuff like that that's really important and uh, building kind of a, a holistic worldview because not a lot of people have that. And I think that adds to emotional intelligence, which becomes very important. And I think that you mentioned somebody 22 handling a multi-million dollar listing. That's important because they haven't established that emotional IQ yet because thinking back, the way I re would react to situations in my 20s is a lot different than I'm reacting to them in my 30s with that experience and how to deal with people. Yeah, absolutely correct. And I mean, I get emotional sometimes. I think that's age. Some <laughs> past the 30s to 40s. But um, I think, you know, with that being said, at some time of point, you know, you, you, nothing's a surprise to you. So you're kind of, you step back and you say, okay, I need to take a deep breath because I've dealt with this before. So let me play the records back and pull out, you know, this, you know what the how I solve this problem and just go forward with it and it usually works out you know but you're right having the right mindset and um, being able to shift is very important and if you're not able to pivot at the right time you could really lose your shirt in this business and um, that's what I've learned mostly from everything in this business and dealing with really good people I've been lucky but like I said I've had a lot of challenges I mean you know it's not I'm not gonna say I didn't cry you know, in the shower and ask God to help me and make the day better the next day and I can come out fighting again. And I didn't have some difficult clients, which I did, you know, people, some that walked away and I didn't really understand why. And um, the breakdown, I had a, what they call chronic fatigue because I was working so hard at one time because this business requires you to prospect also. Um, and the rejection percentage is unbearable but you just got to keep going you got to keep moving you got to keep picking I remember looking at the phone thinking oh my god and picking it up thinking this phone is not working it must be broke because it's not ringing and that's well Jane you have to make the phone ring and then even in my in my uh, entertainment business I remember being afraid to call Paramount and and um, some of the casting directors and I thought to myself you know they can't see me on the phone. I can be whoever I want to be. Just get on that phone and talk. And if you can get through to one or two of them, you've done it, Jane. And I started thinking, saying to myself, well, they can't see me. Who cares? Let me just get on this phone and articulate what I need to say. And hopefully somebody will say yes. And they did. And that's how I started because I, I 
the more I thought that I couldn't, I wouldn't. The more I knew that I could, I did. So I would make the phone ring. I knew no one was going to make the phone ring but me. And then I had to, I was faced with, oh, Jane Bond, who is this? What's your, what, is that your name? That's your real name? I was like, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is my real name. And then I would make a joke about it. Yeah, and I'm six feet tall with big hair. So when you see me, you'll be really interested in <laughs> my name. So um, I found a way to make light of, because I was insecure about my height at one time in my life. I found a way to make light of that. And because I am 5'11", but that's nothing now. Um, and um, being African-American, being in the industry of entertainment, I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me that was a manager because I would always get, you're the manager? And I would say, yeah, what, what does a manager look like? And then I was always faced with, I had to play myself down because I couldn't, um, you know, be, you know, I kind of, I guess, you know, be in front of the celebrity or look better than the celebrity did at that point. I would have to pull back a little um, because of things like that. People would, I would come on the scene and people would go, well, are you so-and-so? And I would go, no, this is the client. I'm the manager. And I would get a look like, well, wait a minute. You don't look like the man. You don't look like a manager. And that's the way I would think, well, what does a manager look like? You know, and here it is. I was this six foot tall girl, you know, a, whatever they thought in their mind, being me being prejudged. So I dealt with that a lot. And then going to Japan, not knowing the culture there and them not talking to me and just talking to the English manager that we, when we traveled together, because he was a, you know, white English male. And here it is, I'm a black female coming from America. I didn't even, I mean, forget about talking to me. <laughs> Who is she? You know, and then going into the boardroom, I remember going into the boardroom with the record label and the, um, the, the agents um, from uh, CAA and talking to them and William Morris and it was all men and just me and they were talking this way and that way in every direction. And here it is, I was the person that lived in New York. I was the person that had the boots on the ground. You know, the agent lived in uh, Williamsburg or Brooklyn somewhere. I lived in Manhattan, you know, 24-7. The record label came from California and the English, British manager came from England. And they were all talking across me and around me about where we were gonna do our first um, show to bring the band out. And they were talking about all these venues and I just finally, I, I sat there because no one was talking to me and I finally, I just tapped on the table and I said, excuse me guys. I said, does any of you, do any of you live here in Manhattan? And they all just looked at me like, oh my God, she speaks. <laughs> and they said, no. I said, well, I think I would be the person you would want to ask all these questions to. And I know the venues that they should be appearing at and the tastemakers, because I live here at 724. So if you want to continue this conversation, I suggest you bring me in on it. And that broke the ice. They were like, oh, okay, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, because I sat there thinking, they're not going to even talk to me. They're going to tell me what to do. And here it is. I have the front woman. Without the front woman, there's no show. <laughs> the band can go on, but they need the front woman. So finally, we got past that. So these are the challenges. And of course, as a girl, I went home and I cried about it. And I called my mom and I was like, they were talking all around me like I didn't even exist. And I remember going out to L.A. and having people, you know, say and do certain things and kind of leave me out. And in Japan, the same thing, especially when we went to Osaka. I was just like, my God, this is just not happening. 
So I would just, you know, pull up my bootstraps and come back out fighting again the next day. And I was able to get what I wanted and get things done. And um, I was a good negotiator too. So that was important to my clients. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's initially like the, the getting over the fear of getting that no or rejection and you don't necessarily know unless you do it. And the worst thing yeah. you're gonna get is a no. So you might as well try or exactly. like sitting in a business meeting and having a good idea, but in your mind thinking, you know, it, everyone's gonna think it's stupid or, you know, maybe I shouldn't say anything, but just saying something and putting it out there is what you can do and get out there and then the rest will fall into play. You know, that's what I've done all my life. And I've always written things down. You know, I always tell people, you gotta take it out of your head and write it down and give it legs because once it starts walking around it's alive and kicking and you have to stay consistent to make it happen so you know the businesses that I've had I've loved all of them especially the entertainment I probably would go back into that in a heartbeat um, because that was not only exciting it was um, it was lucrative at some point you know but there were you know some things that we had to do that um, we couldn't afford but we would put ourselves out there uh, just to make other things happen but it was uh, especially fun and I you know, had a lot of passion for it and I love to see people uh, come alive and, and, and what you would see they, they could be crying the minute before they go on stage and when they would hit the stage they would just explode and to me that was amazing and I thought God has given you all such great gifts you know between the actors and the comedians and even the models you know and I would share with them, you don't want to get out of bed, but they want to pay you $10,000 today for one day. And you don't want to get out of bed. Are you kidding me? So it was just, uh, it was very exciting. Very exciting. And real estate is exciting too. It has its moments, but it, it's, it's more, um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, the business is more straightforward. It's, it's business period. And you know the excitement of going into a beautiful home that has died out because you go you go into so many beautiful homes after a while they kind of all look alike to you, uh, but it can be exciting too. So, what motivates you to succeed? The adventure of it, knowing that I can do it, trying to yeah, just trying it, you know, because nothing beats a try. And if it happens, then yeah. And if you think it, it can happen. I think that's the whole, the, the premise is the seed, planting that seed and taking it to fruition and staying consistent. And um, the adventure of it, the ride, and if it's a good ride, then it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, I can say I've loved everything I've done. You know, nothing has been bad. Everything has been good, and it has created uh, this person, this woman, this wife, this sister, this daughter that I actually like. And, you know, the passion that I have for life and the lust that I have for um, meeting people and being adventurous is really something I, I'm happy with. You know, maybe when I was 18, I think I dreamt of so many things that I have and done in my life. So it feels good to know that that journey has been one that I created for myself. And I'm right where I want to be right now. It's, it's a good place to be. 
So, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important. You said kind of manifesting things that you want to come to fruition because if you have an idea or a goal and you don't do anything about it, it you know, nobody's going to achieve that goal for you. No. And then enjoying that journey is important because most people are going to, you know, look at it today. I want to have this goal and then reach that destination. But along the way, you have, you know, trials and tribulations and successes and wins. And that's the whole part of getting to that destination. And it's not necessarily a stationary destination, like with yourself, with all your different career endeavors. It's a constantly kind of changing target wherever you are at what point of life. And it's good, you know, it, it, you grow and you grow into hopefully what you want to be or who you are. And you're happy with that person when you look in the mirror. And I'm as authentic as I can be with anyone. And people always tell me, you know, you have great energy, Jay. I think, oh, that's good. That's a really nice compliment. You know, I'm able to, I pride myself on able being able to disarm people and make them feel comfortable in my, you know, in my uh, space and um, that's important to me like I said the challenges were worth it the breakdowns before the breakthrough I would do it all over again and not too far off from the way it happened you know because life is you know life is what you make it and um, if you come up with the right strategy and like I said you just keep plugging away I mean of course you'll fail along the way but that's a part of the journey. You know, you can't be afraid to fail. That's what we do. We fall and we get back up. You know, we crawl, we crawl, we walk, we walk, we run, we run, we fly. And that's life. And um, life is really, it can be really good. You know, it just depends on which way, which road you decide to take. And um, I've, I've been very blessed and pleased with my road and had great parents, you know, great siblings, good friends along the way. Um, like I said, but it hasn't always been, you know, hunky-dory. I've had my challenges too. I've been very vulnerable at times and, and, you know, made some mistakes along the way, but I was able to correct them and keep moving. So yeah, I tell anybody, do whatever you feel like doing and don't be afraid, fly, because that's what's important in this life because we don't know about tomorrow. No, I agree. And not saving things, like you said, for tomorrow, or a lot of people put things uh, back or on the back burner, you know, I don't have the time or the uh, the funds to do this or con uh, concentrate on something or learn something because tomorrow you're not promised. No. You know, my, my grandfather passed away this, this, uh, this year. I'm a foster parent. So we had two boys that we thought we were going to adopt for a year, but they ended up being reunified with their biological mom. So like stuff like that happens and it changes and you have to experience the moment. Yes, have a plan, but try to reach your goals and, you know, focus or try to conquer anything you have in your life present day. Exactly. Tomorrow, and you know, the caveat to that, I'll be honest with you, I just lost a really, really good friend of mine, 30 years. Um, we were at the hip, glued to the hip for 30 years. This is the best friend I could have ever asked for in my whole entire life. And, um, one amazing support system and he died March 12th um, this year and that broke me a little but that also um, I found something that was a little more spiritual inside of me um, 
and I found more passion inside of me for people. And um, it birthed my, I do have a podcast also um, called From Execution to Excellence. And that show celebrates him because for 30 years he worked so hard and he finally got to the place he wanted to be at. He was a hairstylist and he wanted to always do hair for TV shows and movies. And he had just did Klansman with Spike Lee who won an award and he's working on Blind Spot and James Franco. I mean, everybody you could think of and he was in the industry and he was there and he died. And I mean, he had just broken through to his success. So that birthed my voice on sharing with people what it means to, you know, really execute what you want in life. And you'll have your breakdowns before your breakthroughs, but once you break through to success, you still have to navigate through the game. So um, I, I really get that life uh, is not promised and it can be taken away from you in a heartbeat. Yeah, I agree. And um, it's it flies by really fast. I mean, I'm only, I'm gonna be 35, but um, it seems like the last, yeah, it seems like, I don't know. I just graduated high school and I, I guess, what is it at this point? 17 years went by. So it, it goes by quick. So time isn't going to stand and wait for you. No, no, Roman. I blinked my eye and 10 years went by so fast. I, went, I was just partying in Paris. <laughs> and now I'm a wife. I'm like, wow. Okay. So yeah, yeah it flies so, by it's so quickly. And especially living in a place like Naples. I mean, it's beautiful all day long. It's beautiful every day. I mean, it's a paradise that um, that uh, we've been we have been blessed with in America because we're on the Gulf of Mexico here. So sometimes it feels like Groundhog Day. You wake up and you, you're working. You're doing the same thing. You go home. You wake up and it's and before you know it, it's Christmas again in three months. So um, yeah, it goes by really really fast. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you? You guys can find me at um, on Instagram at janebond underscore underscore underscore. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, of course, Jane Bond TBG for my company, The Bond Group. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Jane Bond. So awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. Thank you, Roman. It's great talking to you. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.